G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. He says, if you don't do this, you'll be thrown immediately into the fiery furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Pastor Jeff encourages us to be prepared for whatever life throws at us. From Daniel chapter 3, we'll hear about the trust in the Lord displayed by Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego as their worst case scenario came true. Your God is able. He's able. No matter what it is you're facing, and it's not bigger than God. No matter how horrible it is, atrocious it is, and how deep your pain right here in this room, God is big and He is able. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Daniel chapter 3. And as you're finding Daniel 3, let me ask you a question just quickly. What do you do, what do, you do when you're faced with the worst case scenario? <laughs> Everything that you hoped would never happen has happened. Say, so why do you start out with a question like that? Well, because there's a lot of people right now in this valley and in this church that are indeed facing worst case scenario. I mean, there are people who have worked all of their lives at a place of business, thinking they're gonna retire there. 25, 30 years who've been told recently, you're no longer needed here. You know what that does to a man or a woman who've invested all of their lives in this company and now they're not needed? I mean, the lack of significant security. There are people who work 20 years plus for their dream home. It's what they've always wanted. And now they don't have it anymore. There are relationships that are coming to an end because anytime you face financial pressures of the kind that people are facing now, if there's any kind of weakness in the foundation of your marriage, it will be exposed. And so a lot of people, because they have not invested in building a strong marriage, when the storms come, because it's not on the rock, but on the sand, relationships start to deteriorate. But I'm at the age now where my friends are dying. It's not old people that are dying now. Well, it is, but I'm old. My friends are dying now. Got another email from a friend of mine in Florida who was diagnosed with lung cancer. She's never smoked in her life. Part of the 10% who get cancer or lung cancer and having never smoked. What do you do, man? You know, what do you do when everything's falling apart? How do you face it? Now, I'm not trying to be humorous here, but one of the things I do on a study break is I read a lot. I bought a book, The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. Can't tell you that it helped me out a lot. How to escape from quicksand. How to wrestle an alligator. How to break down a door. How to land a plane. How to jump from a building into a dumpster. That's good to know. (laughs) And how to perform a tracheotomy on your friend with just a ballpoint pen. And hope your friend has steady hands. Some of the advice in the book, quite predictable. Like how to deal with a charging bull. Rule number one. Do not antagonize the bull. 
Do not say, you stupid bull. Okay? Others is quite demanding. If you jump out of an airplane, your parachute doesn't open, what do you do? Rule number one, you signal to your jumping partner. But what happens if you don't have a jumping partner? And then you get your jumping partner to come down, and I'm, I'm assuming that he, he or she's experienced in this, and you lock arms. The book tells me that you will break both your legs and your arms, but you will survive, which is all well and good for you. But what about the guy whose parachute was going to open properly? <laughs> now, I went to Benelli for my, I, I go over there to walk uh, the dog or, or to take my run. And I've often wondered when I'm on the backside of Benelli late in the evening, and I'm kind of there by myself, it's a little eerie. And I've heard you have mountain lions in California. So I thought, you know, what if a mountain lion was there? Could I, could I survive that? So I just, just, you know, by chance, would it deal with that? And it does. It tells you how to face an angry mountain lion. Now, you being from California, I'm going to test you on this. What do you do? You got four options. We're going to play multiple choice. You tell me which one. A, do you run? No, we all know that, don't we? Uh-uh, don't run. Two, play dead. Three, make yourself look bigger by opening your coat. Or four, sing a gentle, happy song. <laughs> now, how many of you vote for play dead? Anybody vote for play dead? Okay, anybody vote for sing a gentle, happy song? Okay. Anybody say, just run? No? You know what it is though, don't you? You open your coat to make yourself look bigger. But there's a problem. We don't wear coats in California, which is why mountain lions are killing us. We get a coat, we'll all be safe. And it goes on to say what to do when you face an angry mountain lion and you have a child. A, pick up the child. B, shield the child with your body. C, shield your body with the child. Or D, run. And of course, you know what it is. Pick up the child. Open his coat. Open your coat. Anything you got to do to make yourself look bigger. Interesting book. You know, can you believe it? Over a million copies have been sold. I mean, it's the, and the pictures aren't even that great. The idea behind the book is this. You never know what life's going to throw at you. Be ready for the worst case scenario. Be prepared. Now, the reason I want you to go to Daniel chapter 3 is because, in my opinion, that is the chapter... In God's word, the biblical aspect of the worst case scenario. What to do when you face the worst case scenario. Now, here's the story. And by the way, as I start to read it in verse one, which I'm going to read it, there's another dynamic happening with people of God, right? Because in the, in, the, in the mind of a child of God, when the worst case scenario comes, they expect God to intervene and do something, correct? They want God to open the parachute for you. You want God to teach that mountain lion a lesson when it messes with the child of God. You want God to dehorn the bull as it's chasing you. Maybe take out its teeth as well. The problem is there's a lot of people right here in this building in the valley. They're having a difficult time harmonizing a good and powerful God with what they're presently encountering through losing their home, their relationship, their business, their job, whatever. Worst case scenario, what do you do? I think Daniel 3 is written to tell us that. Here's how the story goes. Verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. Set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Summons the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates. Now, there's a reason for these long lists repeated. We're going to get to that momentarily. And all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he has set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials, here we go again, assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, 
You got to fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. And let me just tell you, this sermon is not about the furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. There you go. Now, look up. What's going on here? Now, this is a real story with real people. The Babylonian kingdom really did exist. So this is not some myth, something that we're just supposed to think, oh, that's a cute little story. This actually happened. I believe God included it so that we might know how to respond during the worst case scenario. Nebuchadnezzar, back in chapter two, had a dream. He dreamed that he saw this big statue with a head of gold and a breast of silver and arms of silver and legs of bronze and feet of clay. But he, he wanted to know what the dream meant. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was a smart guy in some ways. Other times he acts quite insanely and gives knee-jerk reactions that don't seem to appear to have a lot of wisdom behind them. But one thing he did do is when Babylon conquered all these nations, he didn't set apart the wise men or kill them. He took them all into his palace. So he would take the wisest of the wise among every people group and put them up on the bureaucracy. They would rule. They would be on the government. That way, every people group would feel like they had representation. So King Nebuchadnezzar, when he has this dream, he calls for the wise men. He wants somebody to say, what does this mean? So the wise men come into his court, and most probably it was only the Babylonian wise men at first. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, look, I have this dream. I want you to tell me what it means. And the wise men say, okay, King, tell us what you dreamed, and then we will tell you what it means. And he says, oh, no, I'm not falling for that. If you're that wise, you can tell me what I dreamed as well. Tell me what I dreamed and what it means. And I go, oh, King, no man can do that. That's never been asked of a wise man. And he said, good, I'm asking it right now. And they said, well, King, we can't do that. He said, is that your final answer? <laughs> they said, yes. He said, kill them all. He's going to kill all the wise men. Just kill them all. Not only the ones in here, go out to the wise men quarters and wipe them out. The problem with that is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived in the wise men palace. It gets word to Daniel. Daniel says, why does the king want to do this? They tell Daniel, Daniel says, you go back and tell the king this. There is a God in heaven who can interpret his dream. No man can do this, but the God in heaven can. And Daniel gets an audience with the king. He not only tells the king what he dreamed, but he gives the interpretation. And here's Nebuchadnezzar's response when he says, surely, Daniel, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. Now, isn't that what we're like? As long as God gives us what we want, man, it's easy to come to church and praise and worship. God is on the throne right? This is Today with Jeff Vines. The message is about the wise men in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, the golden idol and the fiery furnace that waited if they didn't bow down to it. Now, come on, man. You don't know every man in this room has invoked the power of God when he wants to get the girl. Now, I know I tell you stories all the time about how my wife chased me and I finally let her catch me. I think most of you know that's just not true. It's just done for comedy. The reality is I'm like every other red-blooded American male. I did whatever I could to pursue this woman. And yes, I invoked the power of God. I begged God, open the eyes of this lady to let her see how really good and handsome I am. Because <laughs> I know I needed a miracle. Most men do. And I got it. And it's amazing how intense my praise and worship was for a months after I had won the hand of this girl. It's easy to do that when things work out well. The problem is King Nebuchadnezzar had selective memory. 
He wasn't even listening to the interpretation because Daniel said, here's the interpretation. You, O king, are the head of gold, but there is a kingdom represented by every other body part on this statue and your kingdom will pass. Three others will pass after you and then there will be a kingdom that will be unshakable and will last forever. Now you would think if Nebuchadnezzar was a sharp guy, he'd be asking this question. Tell me more about that unshakable kingdom. Tell me about the one that will last forever. I want to be part of that one. But he's enamored. He's fixated on the feet of clay. Because he's not worried about the kingdoms that will come. He's worried about his kingdom. So he starts to think, man, that's why my kingdom's not going to last because it has a weak foundation. The feet are made of clay. That's the problem. So I've got to make my kingdom strong. And evidently he starts to think, man, we're all people groups because the Babylonians, as they went out and conquered again, you had all kinds of people groups and all kinds of cultures. And King Nebuchadnezzar, we think we're the first one to face multiculturalism. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar faced it thousands of years ago. He was trying to bring that unity out of the diversity. So he starts thinking to himself, we're not really unified. How can I unify us? And he says, I know. Now tell me this hasn't been done before. I'll come up with one religion. And if we all have the same religion, then we'll be unified. And he comes up with this statue that's 90 feet high, that's immense, that's expensive, that's valuable. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to play all these instruments. And I'm sure there's one out of all these instruments listed with which you will identify, that you'll like. And I'm going to set up your leaders before you. And we're all going to go out of Babylon, out to the province. We're going to go out to the plains of Dura. And we're going to bring all these people. Now, you got to understand, this is a sea of people. These are going to be hundreds of thousands of people here. This is going to be like going to the Olympics opening ceremony. Have you ever been? It's incredible, isn't it? In 1996, it came to Atlanta. And you've got all these people. It feels like the Tower of Babel almost. You feel, you feel powerful. You feel invincible. And you feel this electricity in the air as all these people and cultures are there. And this is not about religion. It's about politics in his mind. We just got to get the people unified. And it doesn't give the statue a name of any kind because you're just supposed to put the name of your own God on the statue. So that we're all in this together, unity and diversity. And you have this almost transcendental experience, this subjective experience of all the leaders and all the people. And then the music starts and you bow. But just in case... The, ob the subjective doesn't work. There's an objective rule here. If you don't do it, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. So just in case you're not motivated by the EBGB or ooey gooey, we're going to kill you if you don't bow down. So the ceremony begins. The music plays. Now, if you've ever been to a baseball game, if you've ever been to an Angels game, if you're godly, Dodgers, if you're still working on your faith, and if you go to these games, you'll notice they do the wave, right? You've, been to, you've seen the wave. Well, this wasn't the wave. This was a, just a drop. Because there, there would be no hint whatsoever that you were reluctant to drop and bow down or you'd be thrown in the fiery furnace. So as soon as the music started, which must have sounded horrific, but at least there's all these instruments, boom, everybody dropped. Couldn't have been very long until everybody's attention is off the statue and on three men standing. And it wasn't just any three men. It was three of the most powerful men in the kingdom, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, as soon as that happens and everybody's staring the Bible says in chapter 3, Daniel, verse 8, at this time some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. The word, uh, Hebrew word for denounce there means to eat them to pieces or cut them to pieces. There's extreme hostility here. Now, you know that when you're a leader and everybody else doesn't like the fact that you're the leader, they snipe from behind the bushes because they think they can all do it better. So these wisdom are men and women of wisdom in the bureaucracy. They're upset that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are over and above them. This is their, they can't believe their luck. That's the end of them. They're going to rise to prominence and power now. 
So they go and they tell the king, you're not going to believe this. I mean, we're sad to hear it. Can't believe it. But Shadrach, Meshach, I know we love them. God bless them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't bow down to the idol. King is ticked. He brings them in. He does two things. Number one, is it true, boys? Did you not bow down? And you can tell that King Nebuchadnezzar liked them because ordinarily I think King would have said, okay, that's it in the furnace. But he gives them another chance. He says, all right, guys, let me, get, let me just make sure you understand. The music plays and you drop. And then he makes a great statement at the end of verse 15, chapter three. He says, if you don't do this, you'll be thrown immediately into the fiery furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now understand, this is a rhetorical question. Nebuchadnezzar is not looking for information. You know, my mom asked me a rhetorical question most of my childhood. Do you want a spanking? <laughs> uh, young people, this is not a question when your mom and dad are looking for information. They're not waiting for you to say, well, you know, I was thinking on inviting my friends over for some backyard baseball, spanking. That sounds good. I'll try that. No, that's not what they're after. They're not after information. King Nebuchadnezzar is saying this. You better understand something. You're right here, right now. There's no escape. There's no way out. And you're in my hands. You obey me or else. But here's what's interesting. King Nebuchadnezzar, as he gives this statement, a rhetorical question rather, to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they treat it as a rhetorical question because here's their response in Daniel 3, chapter, uh, verse 16. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Wow. You do what you want. But our God is able. Now, Paul, look up. I want to say something to you. Your God is able. He's able. No matter what it is you're facing, it is not bigger than God. No matter how horrible it is, atrocious it is, and how deep your pain right here in this room, God is big and he is able. When I was in Zimbabwe, the little African kids used to stand up. They'd do their arms like this. And then sing that song, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Who? <laughs> and I used to love them flexing their muscles to try to show us, give us visible representation of the power and strength of God. Our God is so big. But I think for most of us, we got no idea how big he really is. That's evident every time a skeptic comes to me and says, Jeff, I would believe in your God if he would just make himself visible. Well, the first thing I say, well, wait a minute. The earth is the Lord and everything in it. Romans 2 says, Romans 1.18 especially says that everything you see around you is the visibility of God. But think about what that person's asking. They want God to come out of a so-called hiding, his invisibility, and become visible. Now, can I ask you something? What would that look like? We're not talking about a theophany or incarnation here. God's eyeball is bigger than the earth. How big would that be? He would cover the entire galaxies. No, what you want is something that looks like you so you can diminish God and he's like you and you can do what you want. If God were to reveal himself, how could he do it without diminishing his vastness and how big he really is? He would cover the galaxies. God is big and there's nothing that you're facing that he can't do. He is able. Listen, how many marriages in this audience, in this church have been reconciled because of the power of God and forgiveness? How many people have been liberated from addictions in this room right now? How many damaged bodies have been healed? Amen. Plenty. I met yesterday morning with Chuck Dickey, who's been a member of this church for many, many years. 19 years ago, he was diagnosed with colon cancer. 
I sat across from him and he told me how the elders of this church, people came and prayed for him. If you talk to Chuck Dickey today, 19 years later, after being diagnosed with colon cancer, he's going to say this to you. God is able. God is able. That's why as elders, we go down on Tuesday before we have our meeting and we ask people to come who want to be prayed for and we pray for healing because we believe God is able. doesn't mean that everybody gets healed, but we know God is able and that's why we do it. I want revival. You want revival. I believe God is more than willing to move. And I think we're wrong when we say God doesn't heal because of our lack of faith. I don't think that's the issue because nobody has perfect faith. God's reluctance, I believe, is more associated with the fact that when he does do it, he doesn't get the glory for it. We say in our human wisdom, well, he probably wasn't that sick after all. And when I told you that story about Jeremiah, a lot of you are going to say, well, there must have been nothing wrong. They must have misdiagnosed it. How about they diagnosed it right and God healed him? The Bible is sure and clear. God is not going to share his glory with anybody. And when he heals, if you don't give him the glory, he's more reluctant to do it the next time. Thank you for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. That's all we have time for today, but we'll continue to hear about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and being prepared for anything next time. But Nebuchadnezzar learned a lesson himself over in chapter four when he said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.